0: Welcome, everybody, to the inaugural podcast of Live Longer, the podcast. I'm Dr. Millicent Stone. I'm a consultant rheumatologist, entrepreneur and changemaker ambassador for the University of Cambridge, Homerton College. And my purpose is to enable people live longer, healthier lives. Of course, excellent medicine, the best of science is critical to enabling people to recover from illness and stay healthy. But what else can people do to feel better? I'm personally very interested in art and there's much evidence that even attending art exhibitions or participating in art once or twice a week can reduce mortality. And this has all inspired the first series of this podcast, The Art of Healthy Longevity. Now, my first guest this morning is an eminent British architect and artist and a lovely friend. He set up his own company in the late 80s and has won a number of eminent prizes, including the Reba Sterling Award, for projects spanning educational, commercial and innovative projects, such as the Forum of Exeter, Gateshead Millennium Bridge. Although he trained with Sir Norman Foster, he developed his own distinct style and we're really looking forward to understanding a bit more about this. He's a member of the Royal Academy and indeed was a trustee up until quite recently and an honorary fellow of the American Institute of Architects. Apart from his prizes for his work, he's received a number of other prizes, such as an OBE and Designer of the Year. He's lectured over 200 lectures and has written a number of books, including Super Shed, and is currently working on a book which we're looking forward to hearing. So why do I want to interview this gentleman? Because I feel he's so passionate about finding solutions for art, and these can translate into improving society and how we live and our well-being. So join me in welcoming Christopher Wilkinson. Chris, you're very welcome this morning and thank you for joining us.
1: Good morning, Millicent. It's very nice to uh, talk to you.
0: So I, in preparation for this podcast, I've spent many hours really enjoying um, looking at your work online and we've had a number of conversations. And I was wondering if we could start by, by talking about what the inspiration behind your work is. And we talked a little bit about the fact that you're passionate about enacting solutions when you're given a commission or you're going for a prize. You're so interested in innovation, but I'd really love to hear what inspires you to come up with these very, very innovative solutions in architecture pieces.
1: That's a very difficult question because uh, each project is so different, you know. And uh, we start, or I start with the uh, looking at the site getting to know every aspect of the site. And, of course, there's a brief, usually from the client, or if it's a competition, it's a competition brief, which uh, tells you all the, infom- all the information about the, um, the requirements, the uh, client's requirements, the, um, the cost, the area, all this sort of information, relationships between one space and another, uh, the relationship between the inside and the outside, all these aspects are very important. But for me, um, I need to spend time, once I've understood the requirements, I need to spend time thinking about it. And um, I like to go to the site with Sketchbook, do some um watercolor drawings um and i from this is i i can't really explain it but somehow drawing it or painting um makes a difference and it seems to trigger off ideas in my mind which helps towards uh, coming towards a solution and um i mean obviously it's very early days the first thoughts um are important, but um, architecture particularly is a very long process. So, I've just completed a project which I started seven years ago in Sydney, and uh, you can imagine that um, uh, an awful lot has happened during that seven years. But nevertheless, the first ideas. Once you feel, once I feel I've cracked the problem, I'm sort of much happier because I've. It's quite. Disturbing until you feel you've got a solution. Um, but you have to work hard until until it appears. and um, i I think I know when I've got the right solution. Um, but I'm not working on my own, of course, I'm working with a team, and we discuss all these aspects. so it's um it's hard to describe the architectural process because it is complex. It's easier to describe, in some ways, the um, the process of art, um, which is much freer. And, in fact, I use painting particularly as a means of freeing up my mind so that I can work on my architecture. <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, but uh, it's, um, it's very important to have an open mind and to feel free, not constrained by all the... Um, brief, uh, the 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 minutiae of the brief, um, but to, to get an overall picture of um, what, what you think is the right solution.
0: Could I just pick you up on that point that you made about feeling free? So you're translating feelings as you sketch the site and you've taken in the brief. Is that one of the reasons why there is such a sense of freedom in some of your buildings? For instance, take the Exeter Forum for Students. Uh, My own daughter is a student at Exeter. And she says when she goes there, she feels free. Her mind is able to engage with creative ideas. Was that going through your head as you were sketching and this sense of freedom translated into the work?
1: Uh, Yes, I think so. Um, That particular problem was, um, or that project was very interesting because... um, The university had all the facilities, normal facilities, but what they were missing was a place for the students to to meet and hang out and feel comfortable and enjoy, um, enjoy meeting their friends, but also maybe taking a bit of time to think about their work. It was an interesting brief, I thought. We did it. The design involves joining up a series of buildings with a sort of wavy timber timber roof, and um, it's um, it's a diagrid roof so that it looks quite interesting from the inside. It's it's sort of wavy. It relates to the countryside outside, which is actually quite um, uh, there's quite a slope um, in front of the building, and there's a series of rather um, different kinds of buildings which we had to join up. I suppose what I was looking for was a, 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 to create a space that I would like to be in and that I would like to be able to sit down, have a cup of coffee and perhaps get my laptop out and sort of work through some um, emails or think about get my sketchbook out and do some sketches I mean that's the sort of place that we we're trying to create mm. and I think I think it has been successful and it's also been very useful for us because it's given me the sort of idea of how the young people want to work which is different to the way we were brought up we were We had discipline, uh, different sort of discipline when we studied architecture and, and before that at school. Now it is much more important to free people's minds up, to give them the opportunity to expand and sort of create things, create something new
0: it's interesting and what i'm fascinated about is that the university gave you that brief so clearly the educational establishments are thinking about their students well-being and putting that into practice by designing buildings which will allow creative ideas to flourish. Fascinating. What about um, this concept of the connection between art and science? I mean, I know you're a real exponent of that and, you know, you've led um, the way with your technological solutions, your collaborations with Dyson, even creating their buildings. And you've even written a book on it. Yes.
1: Well, um, I believe that um, we should use the the latest technology available for us. I believe that architecture is a continuing process. We we no longer live in caves. We have we've advanced the process of, of technology, new materials, new methods of constructions are happening uh, every day. Really, it's 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 a continuing process, and um, I feel that one has to use the technology and the science. But on the other hand, the creative side requires um, this sort of free thinking. And um, uh, I think it's a matter of, it's hard to describe really. Um, It's allowing one's brain, I think, to come up with ideas um you feed in the information about the site and the brief and you something has to come out some ideas of how it could it could work and this comes with discussion with other colleagues and um, consultants that we work with but at the end of the day it's a, it's sort of it's an artistic thing actually and that's why i like um, to combine art and uh, science, really. I like to, I like to paint, um, and I feel it's, when I'm painting, my mind is taken somewhere else somehow. And I do think about technology at the same time. I mean, it's it's complicated because one's brain works in such a strange way, but. Um, I, I don't want to be res- constrained and restricted, really.
0: Well, that comes across in your work, this lack of constraint and restriction. And in preparation for this, we were looking at some of your buildings with my 14-year-old daughter. And one of the things that struck her was she said, Mum, you should ask Christopher about his use of light And is he trying to say that we should be transparent because you can actually see right through a lot of his buildings, which I thought was fascinating. Uh, It was Blackfriars blocks we were looking at, actually. So I'm interested in that because, you know, clearly the more transparent we are with each other, the better we feel. And of course, that's going to give us a good outcome in terms of our living our lives longer, healthier. So I'm wondering what you're, do you think about that as you're designing these beautiful light buildings?
1: Yes, well, I think light is terribly important for humans. Um, I think we we need to know where the sun is. It's very important. I think we're born. I mean, without light, we would die. There's Put it that way. So we we rely on light, and then the quality of light becomes very important as well. So that if you have a sunny day, it's very different to a sort of overcast um, sky, um, and it changes your feeling and your mental approaches. I think to um, life, and I try to create the quality of life light, which um, gives makes you it's uplifting i think is what i'm trying for is to make you feel when you walk into a space that you feel interested and excited and it's like when you walk into a cathedral it's usually an amazing experience it's not like any other space um it's it's partly religion but i i think it's there's a lot of clever architecture there with the sort of proportions and the um the materials and the um the light and dark spaces that you get the cloisters and so on i think one can't underestimate the importance of light
0: yes and and you're combining light with space there and i know you've written a book called super sheds wasn't that inspired by your time with um norman foster and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because clearly as we emerge from the pandemic, we're still going to have to abide by hands, face and space. And so creating spaces where we can be safe, but they'll also help us feel good, is going to be a really important part of us emerging from the darkness and into the light post-pandemic.
1: Yes, I I agree with that. I think um, it's so important. I'm very lucky um, I'm working from home, but I've got a very nice space to work in. And, uh, you know, not all, not everyone has that opportunity. Um, I mean, we have people working in um, their flats around London. Um, some may, maybe in sets. I don't know, but they they manage to keep working. And I think the quality of space helps everyone. I like to have... Uh, big windows. I like to be able to see out. I like the possibility of the sun filling this space with light and um, colour. I think it's I think light is incredibly important to humans.
0: Yes, I, I agree. I agree. And what about this concept of having a light outdoor space and maybe being able to put you know, at last roof over so that people can feel they're outside in nature, but yet we can observe distance from one another, but yet be close. You know, some of your works in in, in um, some of the the Jubilee line extension, for instance, are Stratford, which you won prizes for. They give the sense that you, you're not constrained and they're bright, but yet they're underground. It, it's a real juxtaposition of light and darkness, isn't it? Yes, well, we try
1: to we try to achieve this. Um, it's I think the quality of light is so important that um, we're very lucky to be in the twenty twenty well, first century where we have the technology to achieve large areas of glazing. We can do this in a uh, sustainable way as well because we have double and triple glazing. We have um, um, materials one can put over the uh, to provide shade um, when the sun's too strong. we I'm working towards the idea of responsive space actually, that's my next thing really, where it's um, it's a changing it's a space that changes according to the um, the uh, the climate outside, but also it changes, According to your requirements inside, and it seems to me that um, intelligent buildings—this will—they will. will, um, Well, buildings will get more and more intelligent, so they can respond to you and to the environment.
0: So, would you consider a responsive space in work where the temperature alters, or the light alters, or the roof comes off? What do you mean by responsive space, Christopher?
1: Well, um, we've we've designed some uh, large conservatory glasshouses in Singapore Gardens by the Bay, which um, creates they there are two of them. They they create a different climate inside to outside. When the sun comes up, it could damage the plants with it if it's too strong um blinds automatically unfurl and it's a very big space i mean these are the biggest conservatories in the world actually these um shading devices unfurl and uh, when necessary um and they're they all they're automatic so it doesn't damage the the plants and the trees inside um, i i call that responsive um, but I'd like to take it further. I'd like to take the idea further that the building would change throughout the day and throughout the seasons. Um, I don't know how one can achieve that, but that would be my goal, I think.
0: That would be incredible. Um, and clearly your use of materials to achieve that will be very important. You know, we touched a moment ago on, on your in, your consciousness of the environment and clearly you know we have this earth but one earth we need to maintain it to maintain the ability for us to live healthier on it so what is your vision for the future and, and sustainability of buildings and do you see new buildings more carbon neutral buildings being created oh definitely
1: um, we have we have so little time to sort it out now um, I think we're talking about tens of years not hundreds of years we have to solve the um, climate problems that we've created and um i think uh, there are several ways we can we can achieve it if buildings are more intelligent um They can be programmed to um, deal with the requirements of people inside. Uh, They can deal with the requirements of the climate without using too much, uh, or without using um, fossil fuels and creating carbon. We also have to consider the embodied energy in the materials we're using. And there's a lot of work going into this at the moment. I mean, for instance, concrete is not very good environmentally. Glass is okay, but there's a process that it has to go through, which uses a lot of energy. There are all all materials have some, you know, pay some price towards the environment, and we have to develop materials which are much more. They're more efficient is one thing, but they also have to. I think they have to be um, responsive so they can th- they can change and transform.
0: Mm. And you, you've done so much work with Dyson, creating his own buildings. It would be wonderful for you to have a pairing of the minds and put his innovative brain and yours together. Wouldn't that be? Is there a, a role for a collaborative project looking at some of these issues? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it would be amazing. Well,
1: uh, I've worked very closely with James Dyson for over 20 years now and um we have um, very interesting conversations and when when there's a project i'm doing for him I, at the moment i'm working on a um, an art gallery for him that's been interesting we also designed some prefabricated housing units for the students at his university and that was an interesting process of going through um what he felt was required and what i thought was needed um and i think we but bo- we're both happy with the solution and the students seem to be happy with it as well and they are very environmentally efficient units you only need um as far as heating and cooling is concerned you only need one kilowatt uh, dyson fan to um to warm or cool it um, at any stage so it's I mean they're small spaces but uh, that's pretty efficient I would say
0: absolutely and, and I've seen I think you've had some drawings up they look amazing too quite inspirational I'm sure the students listening from Hummerton Chainsmakers will be very interested in that and maybe even Cambridge will adopt the similar approach moving forwards and other educational establishments I heard you, you know, a lot talking about art and you keep coming back to art for your inspiration and getting the feeling and working out solutions. But what about, you know, delivering a major project like some of the projects you've delivered, be it Battersea Power Station or one of the other bigger projects? It must be so stressful. Do you think art in itself helps you as a person? So to leverage your creativity, but minimise your stress as well as giving you inspiration? So, how important is art to you as a person in, in terms of your well-being?
1: I think it's, it's very important to me. Um, I do suffer from stress, but I'm generally I'm a fairly stable sort of pe- person, actually. But um, sometimes uh, it all builds up, and you know we have we have to work to deadlines, um, and it's it's tough, really, but certainly the painting helps to relax at weekends whenever I can Um, it's stressful in a different sort of way painting because there's no there are no constraints but (laughs) um, you create your own constraints really I mean it's just but I've sort of worked out a way where I know I use acrylic um, paint on canvas generally and when it goes wrong you can just paint over it so it's not a problem but with architecture if something goes wrong it's quite serious yes (laughs) so you know you can't actually afford to make mistakes um but in art you can you can
0: Yes. And, and I've seen you, you've produced a book of sketches and, and it's, it's on my coffee table. It's wonderful. But what would you say to those students and members of the public listening who feel that they can't draw two straight lines together? Can they still use art? Can they just sketch out their thoughts? Do you, do you think you have to be a, a very talented artist to actually use art to help you feel better like you're describing as a counterbalance to life?
1: no i don't think so i think everyone could everyone can paint um drawing requires a little bit more skill which you can learn i think everyone can learn to draw properly uh by say properly i mean they can all learn to draw um in a satisfactory way painting is much freer so um with abstract painting you don't have any constraints really um it's just your own, it's how you feel at the time and um, your emotions become important. But there's a visual side of it which is important. And I think um, I'm, because my work's very visual, I'm, I'm sort of pretty tuned into uh, what I see. And um, when I'm painting, I can tell when I'm sort of moving in the right direction or I'm I'm going off piste and I need to get back on get back onto it um but I quite like that I enjoy that I find it quite relaxing actually um but I do know that artists professional artists um you know can find it very stressful
0: yes and with your work with the Royal Academy of course You've been a member of the Royal Academy for many years and, and recently just retired from your role as trustee. And you, I remember you telling me there are many centurions there. So when yes. the members of the public can go and enjoy the beautiful artwork that you're helping showcase, but also the artists there, you know, do live longer. Can you tell us a little bit about the Academy and what you think about that? Yes.
1: Well, we are, I think we have, we have um, two or three centurions at the moment. They, you know, surprisingly fit and active, and they come into meetings uh, when when we can. And I like talking to them because they have a sort of um, a f- sort of fresh approach, a certain sort of, um, I want to use the word innocence, but I don't think that's the right word. Um, they have a sort of, um, you know, they're pretty relaxed and um, on the whole, And they're happy, I think. I mean, I suppose life is really about trying to find a way of feeling satisfied and happy. And it's not for... Paintings are not for everyone, but um, a lot of people love uh, working on computers, for instance. Um, I... Don't enjoy it so much myself, but um, I can see, um, I can see the attraction. I I don't know, you know, other people prefer to sit down and read a book, which is also very rewarding in its own way.
0: Well, I think the whole city of London comes to life, doesn't it? When the summer exhibition comes, it gives a spring feeling to the whole city when, you know, you have beautiful works of art to look forward to. So even if you can't paint, you can at least go and enjoy other people's work. So um, yes. one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about as well was we mentioned um, what your most proud piece of work was. And, and I was amazed when you gave me your answer. And you can tell us in a minute, because it's probably one of your most modest buildings, So, um, and probably least dominant in in terms of impact. And and it was Maggie's building, wasn't it? Can you tell me why you picked that as your most proud building? Well,
1: it's a challenge. Um, It was a challenge for me. Can you tell us Um, what
0: Maggie's building is, maybe, just for those who may not be familiar with it?
1: Okay. Well, um, Maggie was an architect, actually. And um, she died of cancer. And... While she was ill, she had time to think um, about how you could improve the situation that people find themselves in when they're uh, seriously ill. And so she wanted to set up a uh, system, well, a, um, an organization really, which, which would be funded by, um, by the public really um, through donations and um would create a space where um people who perhaps have been diagnosed with um serious cancer could go for uh for advice and she found that she was in a hospital in in, in scotland and they just didn't have the time to discuss. I mean, they told her she she was seriously ill with cancer, but they couldn't say what she needed to do or how she could adjust herself to it. So she felt that this was very important, and I agree. I'm feeling um well, when I think about it, it makes me um, emotional, actually. But the idea of trying to design a building that would help people uh, is a real challenge uh, to make them feel better when they're really at their lowest ebb.
0: I can completely attest to that, having had a, a child who's had cancer and recovered. And um, I wish that I knew that Maggie's building existed then. It would have been amazing for, for people like our family um, and do you feel that this is a welcoming space? Is that what you wanted to create? Not only a centre of knowledge, but a place of, you know, yes, safety? Well,
1: definitely. It's a very, it's a very unusual situation where, um, the Maggie's, uh, they, because they were architects, they, um, they started by asking some of the top architects in the world. Everyone has the same brief. Um, when you get asked to, um, well, it's a sort of competition each time. But when you get the opportunity to design one, you you have the same brief as, say, Norman Foster or Richard Rogers. Um, you the brief is to try try to create. Well, you have a sort of limited area, um, which is big enough for consultants for some um, uh, exercise for people to exercise um, because, you know, that's a very important part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, educate and, um, you know, the sort of reading space, uh, library with all the sort of information. But the most important part is the central kitchen area where you have, um, it's a bit hard to explain, but when you go into a Maggie Centre, no one, necessarily comes up to you and says uh who are you 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 walk in to the kitchen like you would in at home and you can make yourself a cup of tea or coffee and then someone will come and talk to you it just uh, as a friend really rather than anything else and people feel comforted by this um, of course the person that comes up to you knows who you are and um Probably, well, we'll soon know what your problems are, and they will. You, you'll just sit down and, and chat, but eventually you will get um, to see somebody that can help you, uh, in the sense of giving you ideas of how you deal with the um, some of the issues of uh, of the disease, um, how you, how you can. Um, make your body accept it um, how your mind can um, attune to it and it's it's a tricky it's a tricky thing but I feel that hospitals have difficulty in doing this because you know they're so busy and they're the um, noisy um, spaces uh, in a sort of comfort of a Maggie Center you have um, they're usually close To nature, so that's very important, and um, they're friendly and and helpful.
0: I love this symbol of the kitchen. It's amazing. Did you have that idea, or was that in the brief? Interesting.
1: Uh, No, it's in the brief. Mm. Um, I took what I took, possibly slightly different, but a lot of architects have as well this proximity to nature. Yeah, which. um, and I had the opportunity of creating what I called a tree house, which, um, because the land sloped away, it was um, in the uh, grounds of the Churchill hospital in Oxford. Um, the land sloped away from the road it'd been built up for the hospital. Hospitals a, a huge sort of um, modern hospital. And this, I was offered um, a site in the middle of a car park, which I couldn't accept because it just didn't seem appropriate. So um, I went off with the um, the Magus um, people and um, we went to find somewhere which would be more appropriate. And we found this site on the edge of the, um, what we thought was on the edge of the hospital boundary. In fact, It was partly in somebody else's hand, but it was perfect. It was a little bit of leftover natural space. And the only problem was when we found out the hospital didn't own it all, we had to go and ask the owners. And as it happened, they said, I find this very emotional. Hmm.
0: Um, Take your time, Christopher.
1: Yeah. The guy who owned it, his wife had just died
0: um, of cancer,
1: and he said um you you can have the land and I'll pay for the building."
0: Wow, oh my God, that's unbelievable yeah, oh you've, there's a spirit um left on on that holy ground, obviously. No wonder that project is your most proudest moment. I can feel it. Thank you so much for sharing that, Christopher. It inspires me to go and visit it and to 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 help make it even more long lasting. That, that is wonderful.
1: well, the interesting thing about having it up in the air in with the trees we had to, we wanted to keep the trees as many as we could and um so we built around the trees, and uh, we had. A lot of windows, we had roof lights and because it was on Piloti, we had floor lights as well. So you could see down to the um, uh, the ground below, which we've planted with various species. So, you know, you you really, you're inside, but you've got um, nature all around you mm. and it does help, I think.
0: Absolutely. Well, you've embodied, you know, everything we've spoken about for the last half hour putting your feelings, building with a purpose, creating space, light, nature. I think I can see why this is your finest, most proud moment. And we're so grateful for you giving your time this morning, um, Christopher, to talk to us and share with us your experience. As you heard at the beginning of this conversation, I'm doing this in collaboration with Homerton Changemakers, and we are trying to educate and inspire the leaders of the future not just in architecture but in everything and i think this has been a truly inspirational discussion for the students so i want to thank you hugely for your time this morning and coming along
1: it was an absolute pleasure and um i um i'm sorry i've got quite emotional at times um i'm not normally like that but um Well, it's a very interesting subject, I think. And I would love it if people, younger people, particularly students who could see the benefits of um, art and architecture and how um, they might work the two together. In fact, we're designing um, uh, an extension to a school, Sir James Dyson's paying for which on the basis that he felt that the art and science needs to be taught together. Certainly when I was at school, I had to choose between art or science. And this school, which is Gresham's, um, it's a, a school where they, they're quite open-minded. It's I think it has a very good um, record of um, success, but um, they were very happy to mix the art and sciences together. And so that when um, the, the, the kids who are studying um, uh, mathematics, maybe, and they look outside, they, they join up with the, uh, the, the, the ones that are studying art. They discuss the sort of relationships. And um, it gives them a sort of freedom and a feeling of um, opportunity and vice versa. So I think there is a terrific link between art and science and I think nowadays, probably more than anything, any any other time in history, there's a good reason that for creativity is the important thing with technology, the way to help create, Or to make creativity is is through the arts, I think. And um, similarly, artists need to be in touch with technology to help them um, with their work. And I think there's a sort of important link between art and science, the study of it, and uh, and working through it in in everyday life.
0: Yes. Wonderful. I, I couldn't agree more. And that's the whole purpose of this series, where we're looking into how does one live longer, healthier? And, and that was the inspiration behind the art of healthy longevity. It is a play on words. Of course, it's about heart, but it's about what is the art of it. And you've given us a very good forum to think about that today. Thank you so much, Christopher.
1: Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure, Melissa.